This past week I learned something about the FBI, and I want to share it with you this morning. The FBI Academy teaches new agents that the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. If that's something that you didn't know about with the FBI, the police officers here today are not surprised by this at all because this is a well-known principle in law enforcement. Over at the Marquette Branch Prison uh, was an inmate by the name of Eddie. Eddie was a very gracious and welcoming black man who I just uh, love very much. He made us feel very, very welcome whenever we came, Randy and myself. And one day in chapel, uh, Eddie said this. He said, when I was released from prison the first time, he said, I went right back to the same friends I had before. And he said, I'm now back in prison doing a 12-year sentence for the crimes I committed the second time around. And Eddie said these words. He said, I need to stay close to the Heavenly Father. Eddie has transferred out since then, and I, I miss him. But I pray that he will break the cycle and that he will indeed stay close to the Heavenly Father. Do you know this FBI principle can be true of a family, a culture, and even a whole nation? I've served in leadership in four different churches, and one of the churches where I served, we had a man with a very serious problem, and we discovered as we worked with him that this was a pattern in his life for 40 years. What was interesting was the same problem surfaced with an adult son, and then later a similar problem surfaced with another adult sibling. And I was astonished and saddened that the same problem could characterize almost an entire family. Last week at the close of our services on Sunday in the early service, a friend met me in the hallway and he said to me this, we are all passing on a legacy. The question is, is it the legacy that we want to pass on? And how true that is. We are passing on a legacy that could well be imitated by generations to come, either for good or for bad. And the Bible illustrates this in many, many ways. You may recall in the book of Acts, as Stephen is speaking to the very people that would stone him to death, he says to them, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. This is a legacy, isn't it? Stiff-necked, hardened hearts and ears, Resisting the Holy Spirit, just like their fathers, this is hardly the kind of legacy that we want to pass on to our families and to our descendants. And so this morning, as we think about this, the question is, how do we break this cycle? How do we change directions? 
Well, as I began studying Genesis 49 this past week, what I discovered is this issue of leaving a legacy of faith continues from chapter 48 into chapter 49. In chapter 48, Jacob talks about leaving his own personal legacy. But then as we come to chapter 49, he talks to his sons. And he talks to them about their legacies that they are leaving. And so really what we have is part two of this message, leaving a legacy of faith. Now, as we look at Genesis 49, uh, next Sunday I want to look at the lessons that we can learn about our legacy of faith. But this morning, as we orient ourselves to what Jacob says in Genesis 49, I want us to look at the nature of the predictions in this chapter, because as we're going to see, if you're a Christian today, you are in this chapter And God is speaking to you and to me. And so let's take our Bibles and open to Genesis 49. In the chair Bible in front of you, it's about page 49. And I invite you to just take a moment and bow with me this morning. And let's ask God to be our teacher. Father, None of us can choose what those coming behind us will decide to do as much as we would like to make their choices for them. We know we cannot. But what we can do is focus on our own legacy. Focus on showing them the way. So that if some are not following you as we would like them today, that someday, by the intervention of the grace of God and the power that He has to change lives, they might see in us the way to know Christ, to follow Him, and to find life eternal in Him. And so today, teach us from your word what it means to leave a legacy of faith. We ask these things, if you'll be pleased to show them to us, in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice that, first of all, as we come to Genesis 49, that Jacob is speaking prophetically of the future. And if you look at verses 1 and 2, you'll notice how the chapter begins. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Now Genesis 49 is an oracle in which Jacob, by the direction of the Holy Spirit, predicts the future for his sons and their families. Here are Israel's twelve sons that are gathered before him, and his two grandsons, which we saw last week, he adopted as sons with all the rights and privileges 
of the other twelve. And with God's insight, what Jacob does is he looks into the future to tell the destiny of what each of the tribes coming from these sons will be. When he says in verse 2, Assemble and listen to me, you sons of Jacob. It gives to these words a very solemn tone. In verse 1, when he says, I may tell you what shall happen, it orients them towards the future. And then when he says, this is about what is going to happen in days to come, that is a well-known prophetic phrase used by Isaiah, Daniel, and Hosea to describe and predict Israel's future. Now, the main focus of this chapter and these predictions are the settlements of the tribes in the land of Canaan hundreds and hundreds of years in the future. But with the tribe of Judah, Jacob does something very, very interesting. He goes all the way to the coming of Christ and eventually to Christ's future kingdom that we are still awaiting as we live in these last times. I want you to notice how this oracle ends. Turn with me, if you would, to verse 28. And notice how the oracle ends. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each of them with the blessing suitable to him. This is the very first time in the entire Bible, that we read about the twelve tribes of Israel. I want you to notice also the key word of the entire book, the word blessing, is found three times in verse 28. You know what it reminds me of? reminds me of the very beginning of Genesis. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, after God had created Adam and Eve, He blessed them. And then when He created and finished creation week in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says that God blessed the seventh day and He hallowed it because on that day He rested from all His works in creation. So don't miss this. Genesis ends with blessing, the same way that it began with blessing. And what this tells us is that God intended blessing for all mankind, but we have destroyed that blessing through our sin. And so God's plan now is to restore that blessing by calling Abraham, who becomes a second Adam, and calling his family and descendants who become the Jews, and ultimately through the Jews to send Jesus as the Messiah, who will rule forever and ever in the hearts and lives of those who have come to trust and obey and follow Him. And if you wonder this morning, Pastor Brian, where am I as a believer in Christ in this chapter? Look with me, if you would, at verse 10. And notice what Jacob says to Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, 
nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And look at the last phrase. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. And God was saying to Judah, your tribe is going to receive the scepter. Out of you are going to come kings. David and Solomon and all the rest. And eventually the greatest king of all is going to come, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He is going to become the Lion of Judah. And one day the scepter will be put in His hand and He will rule and reign on this earth over the lives of all those who have come by faith to know Him and to obey and follow Him. And so think about this. If you know Jesus Christ here today and belong to the family of God, God's entire plan from the very beginning to restore His blessing to humanity has reached all the way down to where you are in your seat this very morning. These predictions are for all God's people. What a wonderful, wonderful thing this is. And then I want you to notice as we look at this 49th chapter that we learn this lesson. Jacob speaks not of what must be, but of what will be. Mark that down as we look at this. He is talking, as he looks to the future, not about what must be, but about what will be. What Jacob does is he sees in the character and actions of his sons what the tribe coming from them will be like. What we could say is this, the sons personify the character and destiny of those who will follow them. One Bible teacher puts it this way very well. The actions and behavior of the ancestors leave an indelible imprint upon their descendants. This legacy that the sons are passing down will have an indelible imprint on those who follow. Now we can begin to look at some of the samples. Look down at verse 27 and notice what Jacob says about Benjamin. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. Do you know the tribe of Benjamin produced many warriors in Israel's history? Ehud was one of those warriors. Saul became one. One of the greatest, most illustrious of their warriors was Jonathan. And then I want you to think all the way down to the New Testament, a descendant of Benjamin who became a spiritual warrior for the Lord. His name was the Apostle Paul, who was a Benjamite. And then look with me, if you would, at verse 20, and what he says about Asher. Asher's food shall be rich, 
and he shall yield royal delicacies. If we look at the map again, and we notice the allotment of the tribes way up in the north, on the coast is Asher. Why that is so significant is Asher's inheritance was in the lowlands of Mount Carmel on the coast. Those lowlands produced very rich soil so that the agriculture coming out of that tribe was indeed royal delicacies, just as Jacob predicted. And then look at Naphtali in verse 21. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Look again at the allotment of the twelve tribes. Naphtali, north again, right next to Asher, was in the mountain regions uh, west of the Sea of Galilee. You know that deer inhabit the mountain regions. And so Naphtali became a mountain people. And in Judges chapter 5, after the great battle in the book of Judges, Deborah extolled the Naphtalites for risking their lives, she said, on the heights. Exactly in fulfillment of what Jacob predicted. By the way, I want you to just stop for a moment. What another incredible, incredible evidence that our Bibles are true. Here we are seeing predictions hundreds and hundreds of years before they ever came to fruition. And hundreds of years later, they happened exactly as Jacob said. All of us know that only God can predict the future. And so as God gave His word to Jacob, God was predicting the future. Thus, God's word is true because God's promises came true. See, what this 49th chapter tells us is that Jacob knows exactly what will happen with each tribe because God shows him the future. Did you know that Moses did the very same thing? As Moses comes to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses gives a farewell song as well. And he looks far into the future and he says to the people of Israel, this is what will happen. Let me give to you one of Moses' predictions. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 29, listen to what he says. For I know that after my death you are sure to become utterly corrupt and to turn from the way I have commanded you. In days to come, disaster will fall upon you because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord and provoke Him to anger by what your hands have made. All of us know the sad history of the nation Israel fulfilled exactly what Moses predicted. But here's the point I want us to see. This does not mean there are no exceptions. 
That's the thing we need to catch here. Remember in Moses' own lifetime, the 12 spies incident. The 12 spies were sent into the land of Canaan and they were to spy it out and come back and bring a report. When they returned, 10 of them said, there's no way we can take the land. The giants are too big and we are grasshoppers in their sight. And they discouraged the people who turned back from God's purposes for their lives. And you know exactly what happened. The disaster that Moses talks about here fell upon them. And the Bible says they wandered 40 years in the wilderness until all of those 20 years of age and older died in the wilderness The Bible says in the New Testament, their carcasses fell in the the wilderness. But here's my question. Were there exceptions? Were there exceptions? And there were two, weren't they? And who were those two? Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua and Caleb trusted God, and they obeyed Him. And they said to the people, yes, there are giants in the land, but God is with us. We have God's promises. And if we will do what God has called us to do, we will certainly overtake them, and we will certainly take the land. And you know that only two people of the adult generation lived and entered into the promised land 40 years later. Those two people were Joshua and Caleb. Now the same thing is true here in Jacob's prophecy. What will be is not what must be. Please hear that this morning. What will be is not what must be. We can change. We can change. Suppose I were to ask this question this morning, and I ask it asking that no one would raise their hand. I asked the same question in the first service, and it's a rhetorical question meaning... Do not raise your hand. But here's the question. How many are the only Christian in your family? And this morning, there were individuals who nodded at me. And I'm sure in the service today, there would be people who raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm the only Christian in my family. Now think about what your family legacy has led you to. Your family legacy has led you to a place where you should not be a Christian. But you are. You are. And you say, why? And the answer is, God's grace. God's grace. 
God in His grace has so worked in your life that you have made a different choice than the rest of your family and you are the exception today to a difficult legacy that has been passed down to you. And what is Jacob saying to us in Genesis 49? As long as God's grace still exists, we can change. We can change. We are not locked into the past. What will be in terms of the future is not what must be because the grace of God can make a tremendous difference. Now notice the third thing. Thirdly, in this prophecy, Jacob encourages and warns future descendants. Jacob is doing two things. He's warning, but he's also encouraging future descendants. Do you know Genesis 49 is the first poem in the Bible? This whole chapter here is a poem. If you have a Bible like mine that puts Hebrew poems in verse form, you immediately recognize this is like one of the Psalms. It is a Hebrew poem. And why do we have a poem here? Well, it's because poems are easier to remember. We all know that. There are things that we can remember via poetry that we could not remember any other way. I was reminded as I was thinking about this this week that when I was in the 11th grade, 43 years ago, my uh, American civics class took a trip on a bus out to Ravana, the farmland, to uh, do a field trip. And on the way back, uh, some of my classmates got into a poetic mood, and they decided to collectively uh, create a poem about American civilization. By the time we got back to class in the bus, they handed the sheet of paper to our teacher who read the poem to the entire class. That was 43 years ago. I can still remember the opening lines of the poem. Here we are in American Civ learning how people used to live. <laughs> Old-fashioned women, hard-working men. Gee, how I wish I lived back then. Franklin's out flying his kite while Edison's in, inventing the light. Enough of the poem. <laughs> you can see none of my classmates were going to be poet laureates, were they? But here I am 43 years later and I can remember those lines. By the way, ask me how many of my teacher's lectures I remember. You see, poems are memorable. 
And if we were Jews today and we knew Hebrew poetry, we would remember this poem. Now it does two things. Number one, the poem warns. Some of Jacob's sons lost privileges they should have had. They did things that eventually caught up with them. And they suffered losses as a result. And next Sunday, as we look at the lessons about our own legacy, we'll look at three of those sons that Jacob focuses very specifically on. But this morning, as we think about that warning, I'm going to put the sayings of two famous men up on the screen. And you may not know these famous men, but you know their sayings without any question whatsoever. Let me put their sayings up on the screen this morning. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And the only thing we learn from history is that we learn nothing from history. And how many of us want this to be our legacy? That I failed to learn from the past and thus I repeated a wrong legacy passed down to me. Or that as I looked at the history of the family that I came out of, and maybe the ungodly legacy that they had passed on to me, I failed to learn from that history. And I I passed on the same legacy to those coming after me. Not a single one of us today would want this to be true of the legacy that we pass on. You see, there's a warning here because God in His grace wants us to change and be different. But I want you to also notice in this prophetic poem there is an encouragement. Because in just a matter of two chapters we open the book of Exodus and here we are many years later. There arises a Pharaoh who does not know Joseph and he enslaves God's people, the Israelites. And here's what all twelve tribes would need to realize that God was saying to them through this prophetic poem that every tribe would reach the promised land and all twelve tribes would have an inheritance that God would bless them with. Do you not think that would encourage them in the dark days of their slavery? When Pharaoh's whip came down upon their backs and lashed their backs open, would not this prophecy encourage them 
That someday they would be liberated from that slavery. When they work seven days a week at hard labor, without a break, would not this poem encourage them in those days that there was coming a day when they would receive a Sabbath rest from a God who loved them. And when Pharaoh's sword slaughtered the firstborn in their families because their numbers were becoming larger than the Egyptians and they laid those infants in the grave, would not this prophetic poem encourage them Someday God will give us the victory. You see, the same is true for us. Genesis 49 is our warning, but it is also our encouragement. Now this morning, let me close with two New Testament verses that refer back to the Old Testament in chapters exactly like this one. Chapter 49. Here's the first one. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 and 12. And notice what this says about the Old Testament. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. There's that familiar phrase. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. There's the warning. Don't repeat the same failures. Don't pass on that legacy. And then look with me at Romans 15 and verse 4. Referring again to chapters in the Old Testament like Genesis 49. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And there's the encouragement. This prophetic poem that ends with the blessing that God originally intended for all mankind encourages us. God's promises are true. They will be fulfilled when you're in times of difficulty and heartache and struggle, when there are questions about where is God in the midst of what I am suffering, we are to endure. Endure. The saints in the Old Testament who endured, they found the encouragement because the hope eventually was realized. By the way, did you notice, if you're reading through this poem, that right in the middle is a prayer of Jacob. Two of the sons that he focuses on the most are Judah and Joseph. And right in the middle between 
Judah and Joseph is a prayer that binds both sections of this prophecy together. Look at verse 18 and notice how as he's predicting the future, he stops and he prays. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. That's a prayer. Right in the middle of difficulties that he knows are coming upon his own sons and the tribes that will ensue from them, he pauses. He lifts his eyes. And he says, Lord, your salvation is sure. I wait for you. You will do all that you have promised. And that's our prayer too, isn't it? Lord, in everything I'm now enduring, all the hardship, the struggle, the difficulty, the questions, I lift my eyes to you. Your salvation is sure. What you have promised, you will do. I wait. I wait for you. See, warning, encouragement that we might follow and have hope. Let's bow our hearts and our heads together. Lord, thank you today that we are in this poem. Thousands of years when your servant, the patriarch Jacob, looked into the future, he saw us because you saw us. And we thank you, O God, that what will be because you infallibly know the future and therefore cannot be wrong, what will be is not what must be, because you are a God of grace and a God of second chances and a God who transforms those who learn from their family history's past and turn to you and find Christ as Lord and Savior and follow Him until He comes to whom the scepter belongs and He shall rule and reign 
and to Him belongs and will belong the obedience of the people. Lord, I pray for someone today who may not be sure that they belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Open their eyes. Help them to see the glory and wonder of the plan of God from the very beginning to restore the blessing forfeited by sin to all who come to God through Jesus Christ. I pray for the person today in the midst of struggle and hardship who wonders, is it worth it to endure? Will the promises really come true? Is the hope that I cling to worth all the pain I'm enduring? And may they see from the pages of Scripture the answer is a resounding yes. Jesus said, because I live, you too shall live. I pray for the one who's conscious of failure. Who recognizes a legacy that does not want to be passed on. And I thank you, Lord, that you are the God of all grace and all mercy. And as all of these sons were forgiven, as we will see in Genesis 50, all of them received an inheritance in the land of Canaan. All will be someday in heaven around the throne of God. So your mercy and grace cleanses and forgives. And we can always begin anew to start the legacy that we want to leave. What will be for many is not what must be for us if we will trust you, follow you, and obey you. Thank you that as Jacob himself finished strong, so we may do the very same. As you warn us today, encourage us that we through patience and endurance might have hope. And we pray it for Jesus' wonderful sake.